want to say thank you for everyone who's joined us here this morning um, in person. And uh, I'm just looking at a sea of masks here. And I appreciate the fact that you guys are willing to come and be a part uh, of our worship gathering, even though it's an inconvenience uh, physically uh, in the way in which we are uh, experiencing this time together. Uh, it's funny, all my ministry, I've been telling people, listen, when you come to church, take your mask off. And now I'm in a season where I'm going, hey, put your mask on if you wanna come to church. And so, uh, so we wanna be an authentic biblical community, but we still don't wanna see your face, okay? So just know that. Um, and then for those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. Uh, today. I'm going to get everybody to grab your Bibles, if you would. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, we're continuing our study called the uh, Rhythms of Life, looking at spiritual disciplines that we're trying to develop in our life in order to grow um, spiritually and mature as believers. And Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to talk about the spiritual rhythm of prayer spiritual rhythm of prayer. Look what he says in Colossians chapter four, verse two. If you're there, say, I'm there. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. To say that prayer is essential for the Christian life is the biggest understatement of the day. I believe that the, the reading of Scripture and, and, and time daily in prayer are the two most essential practices and habits of the Christian life. Like, we, we need this. Like, Bible reading and prayer is like food and air to the body. I mean, just like the body cannot survive without a daily nourishment of food and just like the body cannot survive without breathing in air, we cannot live spiritually growing in a relationship with Jesus without the food of God's word and without the, the air of the presence of God filling our spiritual lungs. Like we need this. This is a a discipline that is not optional if we want to be healthy, vibrant followers of Jesus. Just like the body will die if the food is cut off and air is cut off, so will us spiritually will die. If we do not feast on God's word and we're not breathing in the presence of God daily in our life through prayer. You see, here's the reality. Prayer, when we talk about prayer, when we think about the necessity of prayer, oftentimes we just kind of get confused and we think that, that prayer is simply just saying things um, to God. But really, truthfully, prayer is not just about the words we say, but about the presence we encounter. See, God's presence is the life source for the believer. And prayer is the means by which we get plugged into the life source, which is the presence of God. And this is where the relationship changes and grows and matures by being in the presence of God. I've shared like illustrations like this before. Uh, my, my wife and I, uh, we have a very healthy marriage, but one of the reasons we have a healthy marriage is because we have prioritized focused time 
in each other's presence. And I'll just tell you this, during the season of coronavirus, we've had more honest conversations, more vulnerable conversations, more dialogue about uh, just life and struggle and what we're facing and how we're feeling than any other time in our marriage. And I'm telling you, there, there's a healthiness to it because when you can drop the guard and you can have focused time in the presence of someone you love, you can't help but to see that relationship grow and flourish and mature, right? Well, the same is true for our relationship with God. That unless we're spending focused, intentional time with the Father, dropping the guard, getting authentic before him, him speaking to us, us speaking to him in that time of prayer, in his presence, listen, we will never have a healthy, growing, functional relationship with him. It is an essential part of the relationship. You see, the truth is this. If you want to take a note, you want to write this down, listen to this. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get something from God, but to spend time with God and express our dependence upon him. Let me say that again. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get something from God, but to spend time with God and express our dependence on God. And so this is what brings us to the text today. The book of Colossians, Paul is coming to the very end of uh, his letter here. And Paul is following in the book of Colossians um, a pattern that you see throughout his letters typically. And that Paul would typically begin his letters by greeting the people and then saying, here's what I'm praying for you about. And then he would begin uh, the majority of the letter unpacking the truths about the gospel. He would explain what Jesus is and who, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished for us on the cross and what that means for us and who we are in light of what he's done. And he'll unpack the mysteries of the gospel and what that means for us. And then on the latter part of the letter, he then begins to give commands in light of what he just told us. So the first half, and we're thinking about maybe grammatically, the first half of Paul's letters, and Colossians is no exception, Paul gives what we call the indicatives. Truths about Christ, truths about the gospel, facts about what Jesus has accomplished for us, the reality of who we are in Christ, the indicatives. Here is who Christ is. Here is what he has done. Here's what this means for you. And in the latter half, he would give what we call imperatives, which were commands in light of what he just told us about the gospel. Now, don't miss this. Imperatives always follow indicatives. You see, the commands of the Christian life flow from the finished work of Jesus. The commands that we are given in scriptures of what we must do as followers of Jesus flows from what Jesus has accomplished. In other words, let me say it like this. What we do for Christ is in response to what he's done for us. And if we ever get the imperatives in front of the indicatives, then what's gonna happen is we'll have a duty-driven, works-based faith and we will not experience the joy and delight of walking in glad submission because we'll be doing so from a position of trying to earn something rather than from the perspective of something I've been freely given by grace. When I understand I've been given it by grace, now I see the commands not as duty, but as delight. Are you with me? Say amen. And I promise you, I can hear your amen with the mask on or off. And I hope those of you online are hitting the, the typing and you're, 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 you're jumping in with your uh, communication as well. Listen, here's the reality, church. Paul gives these indicatives and then gives a list of commands. And in chapter four, 
one of those commands is that we would be steadfast in prayer. He commands us to pray. In light of the gospel, in light of what Jesus has done, in light of what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, our response, our command should be, our, our, our desire should be now to follow in obedience to this command that we be people of prayer. So, so eyes right here just for a moment. Listen, the prayer life of a believer is not just for those who are super spiritual or for those who have reached some level of kind of varsity level Christianity where now you're part of this kind of upper echelon category of Christians where now we pray because I've reached a spiritual plateau and now I can get to this vantage point and now I can be a person of prayer. No, 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 no. Listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you would say, I have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, I call him my own, I belong to him, he is my savior, I am his adopted child, here's what that means. You should be, you are commanded to be a person of steadfast prayer. So let me just put it quite bluntly to you. You are either a person of prayer or a person who is walking in disobedience to a command that Jesus has given you. Now that framework is a little bit different than the way we see it, right? But this is a command that we've been given and therefore is expected that we obey. Now, we don't do so out of duty. We do so out of delight because what Jesus Christ has done for us. But this is a command none the less. So what does this mean for us? If he wants us to be people who walk in this, uh, this life of prayer, of continuing steadfast in light of the gospel, what does it look like for me to live a life of prayer? So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you four words from this text, four words from this passage of scripture of what it looks like to have a healthy prayer life. Look what he says in verse two again. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Here's word number one. Write this down if you're taking notes. Consistency. Consistency. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is the main imperative of the entire verse, the, 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 all the verses we're going to look at this morning. It's this imperative to continue steadfastly in prayer. This is in a, a present active tense, which means it is an ongoing, continually, never stopping. This phrase, continue steadfastly, is, is an interesting phrase. It has a lot of uh, strong emphasis here. The, the idea here is, is that, that we would be persistent in to continue to do something. There is a, an intense focus and effort of something that is building into our life a habit or rhythm. Paul is saying that we should be people whose lives are defined by a consistent life of prayer. He's calling us to be men and women who live with a constant state of pleading with God, of calling upon his name. Now notice what he does here. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. He does not give them an off-ramp. Did you notice that in the passage? He doesn't give them a stopping place. He doesn't say, continue steadfastly in prayer until you get the desired results or continue steadfastly in prayer until you think you've got this thing figured out and then you can go move on and kind of do things in your own strength and your own power. He doesn't say continue steadfastly in prayer until you get tired and weary and excuse yourself. No, no, no. He says continue steadfastly in prayer until when? Until never stop doing this. Continually keep every day steadfastly ongoing dialogue with God every moment, every day. We should be building into our lives this constant dialogue with our creator. Listen, not for something, but to experience and encounter someone 
which means that there should never be an off-ramp or stopping point of a life of prayer for the believer. You see, here is the truth. Paul is emphasizing here. I love what Dr. Brian Loritz says about this. He says, Paul is, uh, emphasizes the journey of prayer, not the destination. You see, prayer is more about a journey with God than it is trying to get something from God. Therefore, we continue steadfastly in prayer and we keep on praying and we keep on praying and we keep on praying and we continue to pray and we're persistent in our prayer and we're continuing to dialogue and we're pouring ourselves out. Why? Because prayer is meant to be a journey with God, not a destination, destination where we get something from God. And this is a shift to the way that we see prayer and life. You see, the essence of prayer is not about, uh, it is about an encounter with God where we experience a relationship with him. There's never been a man or woman in all of history who ever experienced the spiritual power of God in their life who were not first men and women of prayer. And here's what I really believe. I believe that the reason many of us live powerless in the Christian life is because most of us are prayerless in the Christian life. And if we wanna see God do mighty things in us, through us, then we must tap into this relationship of continual abiding, ongoing prayer that God has invited us into. You just think about people throughout the scriptures and throughout history, thinking about this, Moses would go to the tent of meetings and it says the people of God would, would, would come out of their tent and, and they would watch as, as Moses would go into the, the, the tent of meetings where God's presence would descend upon the tent. And it says that Moses would speak to God face to face. Literal translation in the Hebrew language, he would speak to God mouth to mouth as a man speaks with his friend. It was used mightily by God. Joshua his apprentice who would eventually be the warrior who would take the people of God into the promised land. When he was just a young guy, an apprentice of Moses, he would go with Moses into the tent of meetings. And it says specifically that when Moses would finish his time with the Lord and he would leave, that Joshua would stay behind and he would linger, uh, just staying in, praying, experiencing the presence of God. Esther, before she takes the challenge of going before the king on petitioning on behalf of the nation of Israel who was about to be wiped off from the planet, what does she do before she goes? She prays and she fasts. Nehemiah, when he gets the word about the destruction of the wall in Jerusalem and how the people were vulnerable to the attack of the enemy, his heart was immediately crushed and broken over the condition of his nation. And what does he do? He fasts and he prays. We see that King David constantly throughout the Psalms, crying out, uh, praying day and night, calling upon the Lord, longing to be in the presence of the Lord. We see that Jesus throughout his earthly ministry, what does he do? He withdraws continually to spend time alone in the presence of the Father in prayer. Paul described his life as a unceasing, constant state of prayer. If we want to see God move mightily in our lives, listen, we must become men and women of prayer. I remember the story of uh, George Mueller. George Mueller in the 19th century uh, led a, a surge of uh, orphan care 
during his day. And he, he was a guy who was just so passionate about it. But one of the things about George Mueller is that George Mueller, history, history tells us that he was a uh, man of deep prayer. And so when he decided God was calling him to go and begin this orphan care ministry, here's what he said. He says that I will uh, raise my own funds, but I will do so without telling a single person my needs. I will only tell God my needs. And God began to bless him with resources. And one particular day, he gets a knock on the door of his office and the lady that ran his orphanage had were 300 kids there. And she says, uh, Mr. Mueller, I, I hate to tell you, but we are out of food. And we have 300 hungry children who have nothing to eat for the day. What do you want me to do? He stands up from his desk. He says, I want you to go and I want you to set out 300 plates and 300 utensils. And I want you to put 300 glasses in front of our children. I want you to march them in the cafeteria and have them have a seat. I will go in the pantry and I will ask God to provide. The story says he goes and he gets on his face before God begins to cry out to God, God, would you please come through? Would you please, you called me to this and I know that you'll provide. And in the middle of his prayer, on his knees in the pantry, his prayer is interrupted by a knock on the door. A baker is standing there and says, at two o'clock this morning, God woke me up and he told me just to start baking bread all night long until he told me to stop. I have 300 loaves of bread. Can you use them? And about that time, a man walks up. He recognized the man. It was the milkman. And he said, I don't know what just happened, but my cart broke down right in front of your house. This milk is going to spoil. Do you think you might have use of it? How crazy is that? God moves when we pray. And I know for some of us in this place, we might go, man, I'm kind of cynical because I've prayed and God's not moved like that and, and I've asked God for things and he's not come through. But here's the question for us this morning. Are, have we ever experienced a desperation like that? where there is no hope apart from God's provision. And again, God doesn't always provide in the miraculous way, but he does always provides. But the reason most of us don't experience the power of God in our prayer life is because most of us live with this life that is safe and secure and we've got everything we need. Therefore, we don't depend upon God in a way that we would see him move in power. Desperate people pray desperately with consistency calling on the name of God saying God if you don't come through I have nothing you see the reality is most of us we play our life so safe we don't see God move in great power and in great ways because we have no need for him the absence of prayer in your life, listen to me, believer, is the absence of desperation for the presence of God in your life. Consistency. Number two, perspective. The second word is perspective. Look what he says in verse two. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Now, this word watchful here is, is powerful here. It means to give strict attention to. And in most cases in the New Testament, not all, but most cases, and in the contextually right here, listen, there, there is this um, 
uh, what we would call an eschatological context. And what, what I simply mean by that is, uh, is, the, is the study of last things or the, the last days, the, the, the eternity is the idea. We start thinking about the end times and this is the way the word is used. Jesus uses this when he's talking about his return and after talking about his return, he tells his disciples, be watchful. Look for my return. Look for the end of days. Look, look, keep your eyes on eternity. Paul does this in 1 Thessalonians where he tells the believers, listen, we've gotta be prepared for Christ's return and he tells us to be watchful. And this is the same idea here. So what does it mean to pray like this? What Paul is simply saying is, is that we need to have an eternal perspective when we pray. We need to be watchful in our prayer. We need to have one eye on earth while having one eye in heaven. You see, you understand that most of our prayer life is shallow and it's empty and it's void of power because we are only praying with an earthly perspective. But when you are watchful in your prayer, you are aware of that there is more to life than the here and now. There is more going on in the universe than just your needs that are in front of you, that there is a greater work that God is doing. And in light of eternity, you begin to see your, your prayer life conform to the eternal plans that God has for us. This is why Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he says, he prayed like this, our father who in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as what? As it is in heaven. You see, this is what it means to be watchful in our prayer life. This gives us an urgency. To be watchful in prayer is to pray with heavenly perspective. See, when I'm watchful in prayer, I'm praying in light of the reality that there is another spiritual dimension and there is a future that I'm longing for that not only anchors me in my current situation, it gives me hope beyond it. So I can go to God and plead and pray and ask him to come through. And while I'm doing that, I'm recognizing that whatever dilemma I'm facing right now in light of eternity, listen, it is small and it is meaningless and it is going away. And I can pray with confidence that God can intervene because there is another dimension. And if he doesn't come through, I can still trust him because I know one day I get the victory anyway. One of our... Faithful covenant members uh, that we've had at our church, one of the most faithful covenant members we've ever had at our church this year passed away just a few months ago. Her name is Heather Huffman. Some of you know Heather. Heather uh, was a woman of, of deep, deep devotion to Jesus, a commitment to Jesus, a commitment to prayer, a commitment to God's word, a commitment to the mission of God. And had the privilege of, of being friends with uh, Heather and Lucas and, and watching uh, their life and seeing her faithfulness to what God wanted to do with her. She, for 18 months, battled uh, cancer. It was amazing through Heather's journey battling this disease is this bold faith that she prayed with every step of the way. I mean, we, we watched as she went through treatments and, and as she battled and she, she, she persevered and she kept her focus on Jesus all the way till the day Jesus called her home. There was this fierce commitment to prayer 
of, of, of calling on the name of God, believing that he was at work in her life and that he loved her and that there was hope found in him. And here's the question that I ask. What keeps a person who is battling cancer the way that Heather battled cancer? Through the pain and through the hardships and through the treatments, what kept Heather on her knees before the Lord calling on him? It's because Heather lived with one eye on earth and one eye in heaven. She was watchful. She truly believed that there was more to life than the here and now. And therefore, no matter how hard life got here on earth, she had the assurance that Jesus is still gonna give her the victory. Because she was viewing her earthly condition from a heavenly perspective. She was watchful. And oh, how it would change our consistency and what we ask God to do in our current seasons of life if we were watchful in our prayer. Here's number, let me give you this quote before we move on to the next one. You see, I really believe this. The reason many of us have no consistency in our prayer life is because we're not watchful. We, 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 here's the thing. We live like today is all there is and therefore because we got today, you know what I'm talking about? We don't need God. Ian Bounds, a great author on prayer says this. He says, prayer is the expression of the soul's dependence on God. Every day spent in prayerlessness is a day spent in functional atheism. You see, when you're watchful, you recognize that there is another spiritual reality, that there is a kingdom coming and I have been engrafted by the grace of Jesus into this kingdom. Therefore, there is a perspective that I have in prayer that keeps me on my knees, driven me to a place of dependence and to a place where my hope is found in God and God alone. And let me just say to you, for some of you, you're like, I believe in God and I trust in God and I'm gonna follow God. But the problem is when you look at your prayer life, you're walking as Ian Bounds says in functional atheism as if God isn't real and as if you don't need him. Watchful. Number three, thankfulness. Thankfulness, verse two says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Listen to this, with thanksgiving. So Paul says, listen to this, uh, pray with consistency, pray with uh, perspective, and now pray with the spirit of thanksgiving. Now, now there's two kind of ideas here. I believe when he says pray with thanksgiving, it is this idea of Grateful expectation. And here's what I mean. So I think there's this idea here that when Paul says being watchful with thanksgiving is that as we're petitioning, as we're keeping our eyes on what really matters and as we're being consistent in our prayer, there's this understanding that God can and will move when I call on his name. And so we can go ahead and begin to thank him now as I'm asking him for his provision, saying thank you in advance because I know you're a God that hears, you're a God that moves, and therefore as I'm making my petition to you, I'm gonna go ahead and expect you to answer and provide what is needed. The story of a, a church in the deep south years ago, um, 
experienced one of those just hard Southern droughts in this community, as a farming community. The crops were dying, cattle were dying, and they desperately needed rain. And so the pastor said, tonight, we are gonna gather and we are gonna call on the God that hears and we are gonna petition him and ask him to give us rain so that our crops can be watered and our, our cattle will have something to drink. And we're gonna plead with God. So he challenges the entire church. So that night, people begin to, to gather and to begin to come and walk from their different farms. And as they're making their way, they passed one lady on her way, 105 degrees, no cloud in sight. And she's walking with rain boots, raincoat, and an umbrella. And everybody is just looking at her like you have lost your ever loving mind. And when they get there, they ask the question. They said, why are you dressed like this? We don't have a rain cloud in sight. And here was her response. She says, I figured if we're gonna call on the God who's the creator of heaven and earth and ask him for rain, I might wanna come dressed and prepared for the occasion when he sends it. And he says, as they begin to pray, all of a sudden something happened. There began to be thunder in the sky and the a patter of, of rain on top of the house. And it was just a torrential downpour and everyone else walked back home in the rain, soaking wet. But here this little lady was with her rain boots, rain jacket and umbrella walking home because she came prepared because she was expecting God to move. Listen, here's my question for you. When you pray, do you expect God to move? Are you living with this sense of, of expectation that God, I know you hear and when we call upon you, you move. And listen, here's the thing. We do so with grateful expectation. Why? Because here's what we understand. While we might thank him in advance for the thing that we're asking him to do, we understand that God in his sovereign will may not give us what we're asking, but he will provide what we need. And by the way, if he does not give us in the moment what we're asking of him, he has already given us in Jesus more than we ever deserve. And if we have Jesus, listen, we can persevere and make it through. And here's what that means for us, that even when God does not come through and he doesn't send the rain because he has sent Jesus and with Jesus, we have everything we need. We can endure the droughts of life even when the rain don't come because we know that the God of the drought is just as good as the God of the rain. Are you with me? So here, I can approach God with, this, with, a, with grateful expectation. Why? Check this out. It's because when I'm in the storms of life, I know that the God that I pray to can either empower, cause the storm, storm to cease, or with his presence, guide me through the storm every step of the way. Because the grave is still empty and because my debt has been paid, I know in Jesus, the storm might be here today, but it's not gonna last forever. So either he will miraculously with power take the storm away or we will with his grace and love and his mercy with his presence guide me through it, but it will come to an end. Therefore, I can pray with a spirit of thanksgiving with this grateful expectation that God will provide, amen? Here's number four. Number four, mission. Mission, consistency, perspective, thankfulness, and mission. Look what he says in verse three. I love this. He says, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am in prison. 
but I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now listen to this, Paul is writing, this, this book of Colossians, this letter is what we call a prison epistle. Why would we call it a prison epistle? Because Paul wrote this letter while in prison. So Paul is writing this letter in chains, no freedom, bound, all because he was faithful to Jesus. I mean, Paul in this moment was experiencing very real persecution for his faith. And so when you're reading this letter and you understand the condition, when Paul makes the statement in verse three, at this time, pray also for us, he and his companions that are in prison. If we stop there, we would probably assume we know how he's gonna finish this, right? That what Paul is about to do is he would pray like we would pray. And here's the request we would make. I want you to also at this time pray for us that God may open the doors of the prison so that we can be set free, so that justice can be served and so that we can no longer experience the oppression that we're experiencing because this isn't right. But that's not what he prays. And that's not what he requests. What does he request? He's not asking that God would open the doors of the prison. He's asking that the prison would open up the doors to the gospel. He is simply in this moment saying, God, what I, what I want more than anything, more than I want my freedom, more than I want justice, more than I want th th this, this situation in my life to be removed forever, more than any of that, I want the name and the fame of Jesus to be known by all. I want clear words. I want a confident mind. I wanna have boldness in my soul so that I might proclaim despite the change, despite the circumstances, I just wanna be faithful to the mission of God. And listen, isn't this how Jesus prayed? Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. We think about this sometimes and we, we miss the missional side of this. Jesus is on his way to the cross. Why? For the redemption of humanity. The mission that God the Father had sent him on. And what does he pray? Father, if there's another way, another way for what? If there's another way for this mission to be fulfilled apart from me having to drink the cup of the cross. I'm asking you to intervene. Jesus was not asking that they would leave the mission. Jesus is saying, if there's another way for the mission to be accomplished and for me not to go through this, I'm asking, but then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Father, if it's possible for us to accomplish the redemption of humanity through another way, then God, let this mission be done another way. But if this is the only way for the mission to be accomplished, then what I wanna do is I wanna stay faithful to the mission, even if it's difficult for me. This is how the early church prayed. In Acts chapter three and four, you see the first time the church is persecuted post-ascension. Peter and John heal a man, they're, question, they're threatened with their life. And so what do they do when they leave that time? They gather with the church. And what is the first thing the church of Jesus does upon their release from jail? They pray. But what do they pray for? One request. Listen to what he says, Acts chapter four, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Not, this isn't right, this isn't fair. Why are we being uh, isolated and picked upon in the community? 
No, 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 God. All we're asking is that the mission that you've put us on be advanced, even if it's difficult for us. Church family, I love you with all of my heart. But the church of Jesus Christ right now in America needs to spiritually grow up. Stop making this thing about you and me. And remember that it's always been about Jesus and his mission. What if we begin to plead to God that despite coronavirus, despite the chaos, despite the division, that our focus is gonna be on Jesus and the cross. And so God, we're not asking for you to make a day where masks are no longer needed. God, we're saying in the mask, may we speak with boldness the gospel. In the uncertainty of our day, with the economic future of our country in question. God, may we, even in poverty, just bless you and make sure that your name is the one that people know and is advanced. Mission. Think about how much more powerful our prayer life would be if we prayed the mission of God. You see, this is a strange thing. I've talked a lot about Richard Wormbrand, a pastor who was tortured for 14 years in Romania during the oppression of Stalin and the Communist Party. In this documentary where he tells his story, he says that he would he would spend hours because the only, he was in isolation for three years, not seeing a single person, not seeing, not one ray of sunlight. But he said, I would get on my knees and I would meet with God and he would be my companion. And because it was illegal to pray, even in prison, they would check. They knew he was a man of prayer. So they would frequently check his cell. If they saw him on his knees, they would rip him out of the cell and they would take him and they would beat him. They beat him so severely that he would never walk the same again because of the severe beatings on his feet. And they would tell him, you need to stop praying to your phony fake God, your make-believe deity, because this is what he is getting you. And he says, but God's presence and my time with him was so uh, nourishing to my soul that I, I would just go back, he would go back and he would pray and beating after beating after beating. And one particular day, one of the men walks in and he's so frustrated because this guy is beaten, he's bloody, his feet are deformed. And there he is again, just on his knees calling on God to intervene. And he walks in and he says, what are you doing? Why do you keep praying? Every time you pray, you get beat. You get whipped. What could you possibly be asking your God to do? He is make-believe and he is phony and he is not here. He has not delivered you. How could you continue to pray to him? What in the world could you be praying for? And he lifts his eyes to the jailer and says, I was praying for you. I was praying for you. Richard Wormbrand says this. He says, I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their knees. 
on their feet, uh, tortured with red hot iron pokers in whose throats spoonfuls of salt had been forced being kept afterward without water, starving, whipped, suffering from cold and yet praying with fervor for the communist. This is humanly inexplicable. It is the love of Christ, which is poured out in their hearts. So heart question for you right here, watching online. If God answered every prayer request that you have made, every petition over the last few months, how many people would be transformed by the gospel? Or would your world just be more comfortable? That's a hard question we gotta wrestle with. Are we focused on the mission of God? And I'll leave you with this and then we'll take a moment and pray. Remember the indicatives, right? The indicatives, what Jesus has done, who he is. And this gives us power and focus in our prayer. So let me just remind you who it is we're praying to and why it is we can pray with consistency, with perspective, with thanksgiving, and with a mission of God in our focus. Listen to what Paul says about the one to whom we pray. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in him he might be, everything might be uh, preeminent for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through his blood on the cross. This is who we're talking to. Here's what I wanna do this morning. Let's get to bow your heads and we're gonna take just a moment and we're gonna pray. Our team is gonna come and they're gonna sing a song over us. And I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you're in this place this morning and you know that you are in need of prayer, circumstances in your life, things in your life, as we've talked about prayer, it starts with prayer. Things in your life that you know you need God to move in. People in your life you know that need Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to do something just randomly through this time. As the band sings, I'm gonna ask you just to stand. We're not gonna call on you, not gonna bring a microphone to you. This, sta this standing is a declaration that yes, I need prayer. I want our church to petition on my behalf. And so you stand, you don't have to share your need. We don't have to know what it is. I want those around just to kind of, if you see someone near you and they're standing, I want you to extend your hand toward them seated where you are and just ask God, God, whatever it is right now, I'm begging you and begin to pray out loud, asking God just to move in their life. So as our band begins to sing and you feel the need that yes, I need prayer, 
we wanna be able to pray for you in this way. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. I pray now in the name of Jesus that you would lead us into these waters of prayer, consistency of perspective, thanks, thankfulness, and of mission. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name.